if they are looking to go out on their own, um, you know, the first thing I would recommend is that they, you know, they don't, I would recommend that they rent. So I would find second generation office space for maybe like three years that they can move into pretty, like it's ready to go and they can just move into that way they can get the business side going because, um, you know, obviously once you go from a W2 and then your private practice, you know, there's a lot of things that, that have to happen. So unless they have like a bag of money sitting there, I would recommend that they, you know, lease short term have, you know, maybe they repaint it a different color, but otherwise it's a, it's a space that's ready to go during that three years. If they want to own something, I would recommend that they start seeing what's available in the market. It is much cheaper to take an existing building that has good parking and good visibility and, um, you know, either doing adaptive reuse, um, you know, like the structure of the building is conducive for medical, but maybe it's a little bit older, maybe the landscaping needs to be repaired. And obviously the inside needs to be gutted and redone. That would be a lot cheaper and quicker than um, building up from the ground up. This is the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast, the podcast that brings together leaders in healthcare and investment real estate to consider the possibilities in future at the intersection of practicing medicine and healthcare real estate investment returns. Welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. I am your host, Trisha Talbot. As a healthcare real estate advisor to providers and investors, the best solutions occur when the two collaborate together as partners in delivering better patient care. Providers can deliver care to their patients when and where they need it, and investors realize the returns to build and manage facilities. We explore changes in medicine and wellness, the future of healthcare, and using real estate as a strategic and financial tool. This week's podcast is my interview on the Freedom Forum for Physicians podcast by David Denniston of Centurion Financial Strategies, also a previous guest on this podcast. His practice has a high concentration of physician clients. He asks me about the value of healthcare real estate assets. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping doctors like you slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Well, if you've been listening to this podcast for the last six plus years we've been doing this, you'll know I am certainly passionate about real estate. And our next guest, she is someone that has been in healthcare real estate specifically for almost 20 years. And they really try and partner clinicians, investors, and helping people collaborate and look for opportunities in the healthcare real estate space. Um, she lives in Scottsdale. She has all kinds of awards of things that she's done and even has a master's of corporate real estate. So this is an expert. Please help me welcome Trisha Talbot to the podcast. Welcome, Trisha. Thank you, David. Well, Trisha, so glad to have you here. Um, you have a whole podcast dedicated to, to doing what you do, which we'll, we'll talk about in a bit. Um, but first, before we, we talk about what you're doing now, we'd love to hear about your journey, Trisha. So tell us a bit about your background and, and uh, how you grew up. Sure. So um, I've been in this career for about 20 years. Um, 
I moved to Phoenix right after uh, college. So I'm, I'm, I am an official native now. Um, I originally started in software development. Um, and after the dot-com boom, I was tired of working for uh, startup companies and thought that going into real estate was less risky. Um, my mother and um, my aunt had a, a residential real estate company, but I knew I didn't want to do residential. So I decided to uh, get my license and go into commercial. I was hired in the leasing department of a developer here in Phoenix, Arizona that specifically developed um, at the time. Now, now it's broadened a little bit, but at the time was um, solely developing uh, medical office buildings. And so I started in the industry there. I enjoyed it a lot. I really enjoyed working with the physicians. Um, they're very professional. They really needed um, help as far as bandwidth and time when, you know, doing a real estate um, transaction, really needing to have all the information organized, uh, typically have quick calls you know, throughout different points of, of the day when they were able to get free. So, you know, they, they really needed an advisor and somebody to, to help them in that regard and, and, um, you know, lead them through the process. So then, um, I went to third party brokerage and, um, I was, I started, uh, at, at the development company it was all, it was obviously their owned property. So that was landlord rep. And then I went to third party and I did seller rep, um, got into investment sales. And then from there I, I went to a national firm. And then just recently, I opened up my own uh, firm called Doc Properties, which really is to um, help physicians and physician owners uh, invest in real estate or divest their real estate if they're looking to get out. So um, now I'm specifically just working in the investment sales um, for, for the most part. So, and, oh, go ahead. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious to know in growing up, you said you're, your mom and your your grandmother was it? We're both in real aunts, estate. My aunt, my aunts. mom and her sisters. Yeah, your mom, mom and her sister, both in real estate. Mm -hmm. Were they heavily investing in real estate themselves? Besides being realtors, like did they have a bunch of single family rentals or apartments or anything like that? They did. Yes. Yeah. So they started. They they started doing rentals and um and that I think is it's scarred me from getting into the, the rental, that single family, like rental flip or anything like that. Just yeah. because again, tell us more. Uh, what, what happened? How are you well, scarred? You're just, you, you're constantly having conversations about refrigerators and broken water heaters and stuff like that. And I guess there's a way to do it. Um, and this is what I advocate for my clients is, you know, to hire a property manager, but because they were their own shop, you know, they did, everything themselves. And, and so, you know, I was just like, you know, the last thing I'd want to do on a Saturday afternoon is get a call to have to go and replace a water heater. <laughs> right. So I know that there's a, there's a method to the madness and a way to do it, but, you know, I guess for me, um, doing investments a little bit more on the larger scale and having a professional property manager that it's their, you know, their eight to five job, and then they have vendors, and emergency lines all set up. Like I would rather just have that as a cost of doing business of owning the building rather than, you know, do it myself, I guess. Um, so, so yes, you know, one of the other reasons why I'm, I'm more, I'm, I'm in the commercial side. So, <laughs> well, you know, it's, 
I think the the commercial space in particular, after the pandemic and during the pandemic, it's it's fascinating to try and prognosticate what's going to happen. And and I'm sure medical is different than most. Like I'm here in a 15 story building right now. I'm on the ninth floor, and I would say half of the building is empty right now. And it's, it's office, it's probably class A minus or class A, something like that, you know, in terms of the amenities and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, what would you say in your experience, what do you see going on right now with traditional office versus medical, you know, like I was talking about vacancies or possible vacancies. I'm curious to get your feedback on that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, medical office, so in the, in the, in the, just commercial real estate side, you know, world medical office is, um, you know, it's, it's sort of put underneath office as a food group. Um, but it obviously, I, I think it's its own, I mean, it has some overlap, um, with office, but it also has now overlap with retail and stuff like that. So I kind of, it's, it's kind of this hybrid, um, food group in, in my opinion, but, um, so the traditional food groups and commercial real estate is apartments, multifamily, land, office, industrial, and retail. Um, So, you know, retail has had to pivot a few years ago with, you know, Amazon taking over the world. Um, So, you know, now retail, I think, has done uh, a little bit of that and is continuing to do that, you know, having to do adaptive reuse of spaces, which medical is starting to go into because they have the parking. Um, So, you know, I've done a couple of, of adaptive reuse of some retail, um, former retail buildings. Uh, and then office is, has been the hardest hit with the pandemics. And, and I'll come back to that. Industrial, you know, is going crazy because, you know, the Amazon effect, everyone needs warehouses and, and data centers and, and all of this. So it's going crazy. Um, land, you know, I'm seeing a ton of land transactions now and I can, um, you know, obviously, I think this is geographic, geographically specific, but in Phoenix, I think we're second fastest growing. Um, we're getting a ton of influx from uh, California and uh, Midwest and back east. So, uh, you know, right now, housing prices are skyrocket. I see a lot of home builders um, buying land. And then apartments has been really busy for, for several years. And everyone's waiting to see when, you know, the bottom's going to drop out on that. But um you know, it, it hasn't so far. And then, you know, and then we come back to office. So I think traditional office, it's definitely going to have to figure out a way to pivot from the pandemic. I do think that um, remote work for knowledge workers is a trend. It's going to be a trend, um, but companies have to figure out how to manage that. And that's, you know, a huge problem that I, I recognize, but, um, you know, I don't know what the solution is. Um, but, but like you're saying, you've got these big buildings like you're talking about, and I've, I've walked into similar ones, um, in my market and other markets and, and the, the workforce has yet to come back. So, you know, we'll see if that, if they do, um, and, and then if not, we're going to have a lot of these office buildings that are going to need to be adaptive reuse. Some of them can if they replat, they could do something like office condos where, you know, they have companies might be a way to absorb some of the space. Some, um, you know, I've heard will convert to medical. There's, there's some, you know, some can do that and some can't, it just depends. A lot of office buildings 
some, I think the newer ones are, but if they're not triple net um, and they're not separately metered, you know, you can always um, do different ways to meter that, but, you know, obviously there's a cost involved. So, and in some office properties aren't parked for medical, but some older properties don't have um, some ADA requirements that, you know, are needed just not just because they're required by the municipality, but because it's um, the, the patients that they're seeing need, need ADA um, uh-huh. adapted, uh, you know, ramps and whatnot. So, um, so, I mean, it, I don't, I don't have the exact answer of what's going to happen to office. I think there's a lot of people talking about it. And um, I do think that that is something, you know, once everyone sort of takes a breath from the pandemic and, you know, we see if we're going to get another wave or, um, you know, that we finally have reached herd immunity and, you know, it's, you know, can put COVID to the sideline. um, You know, I think that that, that's going to be an interesting question coming up. Yeah, sure will. It'll it'll be very interesting. And do you, are you finding in in the medical space? I mean, obviously you're seeing patients, right? So mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a need to to have it. Are you seeing any any change at all in medical? You know, in terms of the need for space versus more the knowledge workers um, that you were mentioning earlier. Yeah, absolutely. So medical right now is is one of the hottest um, asset classes. And during the pandemic, you know it it had a little bit of a blip when in some, um, you know, different states did different things, but, you know, there was about six weeks where they weren't doing any elective procedures, which kind of put people on pause. But luckily, you know, there was the, the PPP for, for those. Um, and a lot of landlords, when they had their tenants call them, had like a whole template of, hey, here's how you go and get the PPP. But I, I believe the statistic is that um, during the pandemic, landlords reported like 94 four to 97 percent of um um uh, getting still maintaining rents um they're also you know the tenants are in there long term for some specialties that have a lot of equipment or specialized build out it's really expensive to pick up and leave so you know 10-year leases are the norm um you know you can get into longer leases for some specialties but you know, 10, five, seven, and 10 years is the norm with, you know, more leaning on the seven to 10 year rate. So there's a lot of stability in the asset class, which obviously investors love stability. So, um, and the rents are typically higher because the landlords of medical office buildings have to offer tenant improvement allowances and medical users have high tenant improvement allowances. One, because a lot of them have to require plumbing. Um, And so, you know, that just is an expense that that, um, you know, for the sinks in the exam room. So that's a, a lot more expensive to build out a medical space than it is a general office space. Got it. Now, let, let's say I'm, I'm a young physician, maybe I'm a resident or a fellow, or I've just transitioned to practice. So usually, you know, I'm, I'm a W2 type person. Um, what, what would, if you're sitting down right now and they're like, they're, they're thinking, man, I don't have the money to do this quite yet. Um, I would love to be out on my own or maybe invest into something like this one day. What would you say to someone like that if you're sitting down with them? Well, so there are, so first of all, um, you know, if they're a hospitalist and a W-2, you know, owning, being a physician owner probably doesn't make sense because you're not, you're seeing either patients in hospital space or the hospital, hospital owned space. But 
if they are looking to go out on their own, um, you know, the first thing I would recommend is that they, you know, they don't, I would recommend that they rent. So I would find second generation office space for maybe like three years that they can move into pretty, like it's ready to go and they can just move into that way they can get the business side going because, um, you know, obviously once you go from a W2 and then your private practice, you know, there's a lot of things that, that have to happen. So unless they have like a bag of money sitting there, I would recommend that they, you know, lease short term have, you know, maybe they repainted a different color, but otherwise it's a, it's a space that's ready to go during that three years. If they want to own something, I would recommend that they start seeing what's available in the market. It is much cheaper to take an existing building that has good parking and good visibility and, um, you know, either doing adaptive reuse, um, you know, like the structure of the building is conducive for medical, but maybe it's a little bit older, maybe the landscaping needs to be repaired. And obviously the inside needs to be gutted and redone. That would be a lot cheaper and quicker than um, building up from the ground up. Now, some specialties um, and in some markets, ground up is the only option just because there's not any available inventory. Um, but I recommend giving themselves a lot of runway in order to be able to really assess the market and assess the, assess the inventory, find out, you know, first check off the box of, um, you know, finding existing buildings that they can they can adapt to before considering doing a ground up development. If they do want to do a ground up development, there are JV partners in this market that love to partner with physicians and they will. So they don't have, they can be their capital partners. They can um, do cost plus development. Uh, they can, you know, have the doctor develop it and they take them out, at, you know, once it's the doctor can sell the building to them. And, and so there's lots of options depending on what they want to do. If they want to stay as an owner, you know, I recommend the JV option if they if they don't want to outlay all of the capital, especially for um, a brand new, um, like, like their first building, just so that they, you know, can understand like real estate development and real estate just has a ton of unknowns. And the learning curve, it, you know, it's not rocket science, but it can be a very expensive learning curve. So, you know, I would recommend kind of a step-by-step -step process of, of getting into the real estate side. And then from there, like, you know, if they have a capital partner that they, they want to stay in a good relationship, they can go as fast as they can find money or, you know, they can spend the money and find an option. Um, you know, the capital partner, JV, you know, they, and they just know how to do this. So, so their whole business model is based on, you know, partnering with physicians in order to, to help them expand. So just to, to walk this back a little bit, uh, we, we might be speaking Italian or French or Mandarin <laughs> to some people right now um, right. That, that are not familiar with some of the terminologies. Maybe could, could you walk through for someone that has uh, often say that physicians don't really have a business education, let alone real estate education. So, sure. so when, it, when it comes to building a medical facility or renting or, or um, taking over a space, like you mentioned, what, what are some of the terminologies that our, our younger physicians should start getting familiar with so they can speak the lingo? 
Sure. So when you're renting a space, you want to understand the the um, the rental rate um, and if it's a fair market rental rate, you know, compared to other similar buildings that they would be looking at, and also the operating expenses. So it a lot of newer medical buildings are all triple net, which means that there is a base rent. So let's just use easy, you know, twenty bucks a square foot per year in base rent, but it's triple net. So those triple net charges, they can be, you know, sometimes up to $9 a square foot. So really what you need to account for is an annual rent of $29 a square foot divided by 12 to give you your monthly amount um, of of cost there. And the triple nets are all the operating expenses. So common area maintenance, which includes parking lot maintenance, trash removal, the, the maintenance person you know for the building that has to repair HVAC or maintain HVAC external um, building repair internal build you know even and depending on how their building is run you know there's common areas so the common areas are kind of are the bathrooms foyers where you know there's usually a water fountain and, and multi-story buildings that's you know where you get the elevator so all of those need to be maintained by somebody and, and there's a you know an expense for that. Um, that, that acronym is CAM, if anyone ever hears ex- that. Common yes, area exactly. maintenance, CAM. Exactly. And, the, you know, there needs to, the, the outside needs to have lighting, and then the common area needs to have lighting, and there's an expense for that electrical. And then there's also, you know, somebody that has to, on a day-to-day, um, maintain it. So there is, a, there is a, a management fee in there as well. And sometimes property taxes are included in there. Sometimes they aren't. Sometimes building insurance is included in there. Sometimes they're not and CAMs and they're separate. And then you have your premises electric. So you get a, you have an account and you get a bill from the electric company. And then you also want to, you pay for janitorial. Um, so you need to make sure you understand all of these costs. I've had a lot of um, clients um, you know, when they leased their first space, they didn't, they don't, they didn't realize that the operating expenses were in addition to the base rent. And that's a huge expensive surprise. So that's what I'm talking about. My experience is Tricia, that a lot of that depends on the amenities of the building. So like I've Correct. been building out a space that hopefully we're moving into in just a couple of weeks. And, <laughs> and, um, you know, there's, when you move into a space like that, there's all kinds of choices you have to make. Like in my case, we decided to go for polished concrete rather than carpets, (laughs) which was an upcharge, you know, of, of 1500 bucks or whatever, which wasn't that bad, but it's a relatively small space. You know, you have to think about all of these things. And in our building, we had a lot of amenities. There's a gym, there's a food court, there's a hairstylist, there's conference rooms, you know, all kinds of things which can be used, which makes it, generally higher per me on a for me on a square per square foot basis but you know i get all the extra stuff that comes with that versus a place that might be cheaper per square foot but then you don't get all the amenities with it yeah exactly and so that and that's lease space so then when you you know if you go and you own your own building there's a lot to consider um you know you need to have you need to Put the property in the LLC that's different from the LLC that you use to run your business and the property, you know, that's where then you run all of the, so then, so I'm going to try to keep a super high level because we can sit here for two hours. Um, but you, um, you know, you put, you'll write the, you'll write a lease for yourself because you always want to have a lease there. There's a bunch of, there's some tax reasons for it. Um, but you know, your 
even though you're occupying your own building, your practice will still have a lease with your property LLC. So, um, so that's income into there. So you'll have the, the property will have its own income and its own expenses. And again, you have to, you, there are some expenses that are landlord and tenant, and you have to make sure that the landlord ones are paid out of your LLC for the property and the tenant ones are paid out of the LLC for your operating company, for your practice, um, just to keep things copacetic. And I, I, you can mix them up, but what happens is life is it's full of surprises and you never know. Um, you might get, you know, then if you, you might get bought by a private equity firm or have an offer for that. And then, um, and you need to, or want to sell the property or just life happens and, and you need to monetize your real estate asset. If you have it set up from the beginning, there's a lot less cleanup when you go to sell it. So I'm always advised that you go into real estate with the exit strategy in mind and you operate the building accordingly. It makes for a lot less headaches. Um, if you just do it haphazardly and then you put it on the market, an investor will buy it, but they're going to ding you for having to spend the time to organize your building. And, and that doesn't need to happen. Um, so I'm saying ding you in price. So they'll come in and they'll be like, well, you know, you said your rent was this, but you didn't account for the operating expenses. And, um, you know, so they'll, so there's just some, there's value that will be, um, deducted from the price. So, so with that, you just want to always operate the building correctly, just like, you know, you operate your practice, but you want it to have it separate with the thought that if you have to sell it at any time, you can put it on the market pretty, pretty quickly. Um, I do recommend that, like I said, you know, when you were talking to me at the beginning, um, that they do hire a professional property manager. Some try to do it on their own. There's a lot of partnerships where, you know, there's like three to five positions and one position sort of takes the lead. Um, they think that they're saving money by not paying for a management fee, which is true. But I guess what's the opportunity cost of that time? Um, so, you know, they see patients and have procedures, but then, you know, something breaks and they have to deal with it. It's not very convenient for, for a practicing physician to do that. So, and not only on top of that, the people that are professional property managers, they have vendors, vendor relationships, they can get some cost savings because they use these vendors on, on a volume scale. Um, and if they, they have backup vendors, if one, you know, isn't available, and then, you know, they, they, when the vendor tells them what's going on, and not that a, not that, you know, a physician wouldn't, wouldn't or can't learn quick, you know, get up to speed pretty quickly. But I guess as a, as a physician who's maybe not familiar with HVAC, really want to spend the time to understand exactly, you know, what is going on with the HVAC to the point where you have to make a decision. Is it, you know, other than, you know, can it be replaced or can it be repaired or does it need to be replaced or, you know, other things where a property manager will say, here's the amount of, you know, of cost that it would take to repair it, but, you know, it's 30 years old and you might want to replace it. And here's, you know, the cost of that, but down the road, you know, here's what you would save or, you know, the, the less headaches. Otherwise, you know, every month or so you're going to be repairing this. So yeah. there's, there's those things. So, um, so just to, to um, kind of get, get a little bigger, bigger picture, you know, let, let's imagine someone is, has been renting 
you know, they have their own practice and they say, you know what, owning something sure, sure seems like a good idea. As a matter of fact, I often tell people, you know, there's, there's nothing better you can invest into than something you understand well. And if, if you're buying a building that you're going to be officing in and, and maybe you don't even use up all of it, maybe you're renting some of it out. You know, I, I think there's no, nothing better than, than doing something you understand versus something that you don't. And, um, can you talk a little bit about maybe geography, you know, does, does the price change a lot by geography? I imagine location, location, location would tell you yes, but I'm curious to hear your take on, um, nationally, you know, are some areas way cheaper than others to, to have a building? What does that look like? Well, it's specific to every market. And I would say, you know, just like other real estate, if it's closer to the city center and more dense, meaning that the supply is low, the the prices tend to go higher. Also, depending on your medical specialty, the closer to the hospital you are rather than further away. Um, But it also depends. I mean, if you are serving a community and you're in like the retail center of that community, you know, the value it can can be maintained. I would say when you're looking at physician-owned real estate, the, the best thing you can do is run your business really well. Um, you know, if you're a large practice with multiple sites, your balance sheet and your income statement are, you know, phenomenal usually. And then, um, you know, but if you're an independent physician practice, maybe you have three offices. Um, you know, when you go to, if you ever want to sell your building and you don't have to, because keeping the real estate long-term is, um, you know, it can be a wealth building machine. It, it, it um, increases in equity. It reduces some taxes. However, real estate is cyclical. And if there is an opportunity where there's the prices like right now are um, really high for, uh, for medical office, you may as a business decision say, hey, I'm going to sell this office because with the proceeds I can receive from that, I can open up two more offices where I want to, or I can get a newer building or, you know, there's just some real estate decisions that go into that. So um, when you're selling it, you still need to be a tenant in there, but you would sell the building because you want to, you want to open up two other practices and two other locations of town. So I should, I should emphasize that you're going to get the highest price as selling it with you as a tenant in the building or a tenant in the building, but typically physician owner will say, say as a tenant. And I would look about 10 years down the line before you, um, you know, at a, as a timeline, because you'll get the best value signing a 10 year lease. And then you sell this to an investor and an investor buys the property, but they because of you as the tenant and obviously the property has to be in decent shape. And, but, they're buying you as a tenant and then they, you know, buy you as a tenant based on your financial strength. So that, so that's why I'm saying that the best thing you can do is, you know, always operate your business and the real estate as though if at any point you need to put it on the market, it's easy to do so. That is the, the, the best way to go about uh, investing in physician owned real estate in order to maximize the financial strategies of of owning the real estate. And then, you know, if you ever want to sell it in the future. So tell us, you know, in terms of, of, um, what we should expect, like, let's say I'm interested in doing something like this. Let's say I'm in a, 
a uh, the suburbs of a major metropolitan area you know is is a range typically like a million dollars to um 10 million dollars you know what, what what is the pricing um range that someone might see if if you're kind of in your practice yeah, in the suburbs it, of, it of real estate doesn't yeah and it doesn't work it's not that simple to understand so so that's the biggest thing it has a lot of factors um so here in the phoenix metropolitan area you can get some really high prices in the suburbs um, because they're growing they have regional hospitals um and it really depends like i said it depends on the quality of the building the square footage size of the building um and you know for medical proximity to the hospital visibility ingress egress um you know obviously uh, the quality of the tenant or tenants plural if it's multi-tenant so real estate it's not like you know it's a million dollars if you're you know 20 miles away and it's three million dollars if you're two miles away from the city center and medical office doesn't work like that so maybe office does but medical office doesn't it, kind of, it really depends you know like if you have a hospital that is leasing so if they you know own a practice and they're leasing space out of a building that provides that's you know increases the value versus if it's not a national you know in national companies to increase the value of a property so it, it really depends it's not as dry as that wish it was but it's not interesting so what would be like the low end you know of to expect for a medical office building like in a suburban well, area so we have um, what's called office condos and, and some of those are as small as like 1200 square feet. So it would be under a million to, you know, probably be under a million dollars. It really, it's not that, it's not that simple. <laughs> um, and it, you know, I mean, cap rates, if you're looking for, for that kind of information, I think the average cap rate right now for medical office nationally is just a little bit above 6%. They've compressed considerably. Um, and then obviously cap rates are affected by all the factors I previously mentioned, quality of the building, quality of the tenancy, um, and the length of the leases. All right. So it, it could be under a million dollars. It could be $10 million. I mean, it really depends off obviously on location um, and a lot of the other factors you, you mentioned. Um, how does something like a medical office building compare to something like a surgery center? So a surgery center will get um, a higher value because the um, the cost to build out a surgery center is probably twice the amount of a regular medical office. So again, surgery centers are hard to move. Um, they're well, they're expensive to move. Um, some States have certificate of need, which means that, you know, they don't, they don't want too many surgery centers. Um, so they kind of control that, um, you know, so I, I would say surgery centers get higher value one, because there's a, there's not as much supply as medical office is one thing They're and they're very expensive to move and they're highly specialized build out. They're expensive to build out. Got it. For sure. For sure. Um, are generally cap rates lower on surgery centers or are they high? They typically are. Are lower? Are lower, correct. Lower, higher price. Which, correct. I gotcha. So Trisha, as we, we wrap up the, 
the podcast for today, you know, I think it's always helpful to think about mistakes. Um, so if I'm someone that wants to buy a medical office building, what do you think the number one mistake is that people make? Not understanding all of the expenses that go into that, you know, especially, you know, if you're, um, build buying a new building or developing a building, really understanding the costs. And especially right now with construction costs, um, also not understanding the people that you need to hire from an architect. If you have to rezone a real estate attorney, um, you know, the, the cost to the cost that you need to understand when you're looking at a, if you, if you're going into a building and it's a, either you're going to, yourself the current condition of where it is to where you need to be and the cost to get there same if you're you're buying a building as an investor looking if any of the space is vacant is it really old um medical office space that you know the previous tenant was in there for 30 years and it hasn't been updated that's probably going to be gut and redo and understanding what that cost is so so really understanding the cost of ownership and um what's the development if you're developing before you obviously purchase the property. And on the flip side, you know, what do you think is like the number one benefit above all else of owning one of these places? So there's some tax strategies and obviously um, the stability of the cash flow, especially if you have other tenants and the um, increase in value that you get with appreciation. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. I think that's, that's all good. And a lot of it, of course, depends on, are you your own tenant and there's nobody else or do you have other tenants? Right. <laughs> and exactly. On top of that. exactly. Um, as, as we close out the podcast for today, Trisha, do you have any closing thoughts or, or wisdom you want to impart to us? Well, I think it's, you know, I think for physicians owning their own real estate, it's a great way for them to, um, one, you know, if they're highly specialized and it's an expensive build out, it really allows them to benefit from, you know, doing that build out in a building that they own. There's lots of opportunities for them to exit out of it if they want to right away um, or keep it long term and, and sit out of it later. I think, like I said, with the tax strategies um, with, you know, depreciation and, and you know, there's a, there's a few different ones, but um, you know, that's, that's always a benefit. And also, you know, if they're, they're for surgery centers or procedures for them, um, getting reimbursements, the, one of the, the key, um, business decisions is, you know, they get higher reimbursements by doing procedures or surgeries, not in the hospital. So, and, you know, that is, that is a huge benefit. They can ton more money in their operation and, um, you know, from owning their own real estate and doing procedures in their own facility. I love it. Awesome. And then you have your own podcast where if people want to hear more about this stuff and more strategies and hints, where can they find you? So you can go to my website, docproperties.com, and there you'll see a link to the podcast. The podcast is called um, Providers, Properties, and Performance. And it's all about uh, interview a lot of physician owners and um, and a lot of investors on the investment side, really just to understand, you know, from an investment standpoint, when 
and it's more for physicians to understand when they're looking to sell their building, what what does it need to look like for, for it's attractive to an investor? So they, they get that and then they get you know lessons learned from other co- physician colleagues that have done this themselves. Awesome. Awesome. So docproperties.com to check it out, learn more about you, find the podcast, all that kind of stuff. Well, thank you so much, Tricia, for being with us today. And definitely everyone make sure to look her up if you have more questions. For the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, this is Dave Dennis. And remember, my friends, remember to slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. I'm grateful for you tuning in to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast with others. As a disclaimer, this podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and not intended for specific real estate investment advice.